night. And uh, I did three and four, or I mean, I'm sorry, two and three last week, but I don't know if I can get through four and five, but we'll try, or we'll give it the old college try, right? That's what they say. And so um, if you need a, a subheading here in, in 2 Corinthians, and uh, I, I appreciate this book um, today. My mom called me, and uh, I, I, I love my mom. I love to talk to my mom, and uh, she called me, and I, she's, and I was telling her that I was going to be speaking on this very thing. Boy, she encouraged my heart, and uh, um, it's, it's good to have people around that encourage you, right? And so uh, I love this book because Second Corinthians, Paul is writing back to the church in Corinth, and uh, they the first epistle to them was very pointed, very uh, not harsh, but just telling them, hey, how many know sometimes you got to hear the truth? And uh, Paul didn't mince words with them, and he went and, uh, you know, just talked to them about some things that they were doing and, and some ways that they were diluting the gospel and just uh, not uh, living up to what Christ had called them to. And in this second epistle, he's a lot more... Uh, light, not lighthearted. I don't. That's not the word I want to say. But he is. Uh, he just kind of makes himself almost vulnerable in a place uh, to let them know that 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 he cares about them. So chapter uh, four, uh, verse one. And if you need a subheading here, the light of the gospels. What what this is. And so it says this. Therefore, all right, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word amen amen how many know that that's still relevant right there today God's word doesn't have to be tampered with messed with it is what it is it goes forth in power and might all right but by the open statement of the truth we would uh, commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God so he's saying this by God's mercy uh, you know, Corinthians, church there in Corinth, we walk in integrity is what Paul's saying. How many know it's important to walk in integrity? When no one's looking, you should be walking in integrity, right? Uh, it, you should be doing the right thing even if nobody's paying attention, right? That's what integrity is. So uh, he's saying this, you know, I, I, we're not using deceitful means to do something in the name of ministry. Come on, I could talk, sit there and talk for a long time. There's a lot of people who, who use ministry to their advantage versus letting God use them for the advantage of ministry and the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'll give you a good example in the Old Testament here. And that's what Saul did. He made this mistake, uh, but but. Uh, king David did very well, okay? The difference between Saul and David is uh, King Saul used the things of God to glorify himself, all right? This is a pretty broad statement, while David used his life to glorify God. That's why uh, David is known after a man after God's own heart because he wanted to glorify God in all he did. Did he make mistakes? Absolutely. How many know this, that integrity matters, Right? Come on. <laughs> so we'll make sure you're all awake here. Uh, I wrote this down. It's important to be whole. It's more important to be whole rather than to be right. Think about that for a minute. It's more important to be whole rather than to be right. 
All right, so some of you husbands need to hear that when you're talking to your wife, and some of you wives need to hear that when you're, and it's more important uh, to be whole than to be, uh, than, rather than to be right. Verse, verse 3 says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, and it, it, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, all right? I want you to notice this. Uh, it says the God of of this world. I want you to notice that the God there is little g. All right? That's not big G. That's not Jehovah. That is that is the God of this world. And uh, I'll break that down just a little bit, uh, um, talking about, about that. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Notice that Christ is capitalized, right? Who is the image of what? Capital. Capital G, okay, big difference there. And so uh, in, in this case, the God of this world is Satan. Some of you say, well, wait a second, isn't, isn't God in control? How many know that God is sovereign? He's in control. You know what God did in the Garden of Eden? He put uh, this world in the hands of Adam and Eve, and he said, hey, uh, you can do all of these things. You know your life is, is going to be great, but I have this one thing. I need you to stay away from this one tree. I need you to not do this. And what, what Adam and Eve did that day is they gave access to the enemy who has since then been controlling this world. God is still sovereign, okay? Nothing happens that God doesn't allow to happen. But listen, the enemy of this world, why is there so much evil? Why is there so many things? Because he is working overtime, trying to bring people down, trying to destroy people. The, the, the goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. And that's what he has been doing since the Garden of Eden. So so Paul says this to, to those that say the gospel we preach is and some of them were saying this in Corinthians that the gospel he was was preaching was shallow or unworkable in an attempt to ensnare them or in legalism. And and Paul's saying this, people who say that, they're blinded by by Satan, okay? They're blinded by Satan. It's not a uh, a list of to-do things, all right? How many are glad that, that we don't have this big to-do list things? But God, I mean, I love the grace of God that God just said, hey, if you believe in your heart, come on, confess with your mouth. Hey, guess what? And Christ works those things through you. But Paul says when we tell people that, that Jesus paid for their sins, um, they'll embrace the free gift of salvation, all right? Uh, how many have embraced the free gift of salvation in here? That means you're saved, FYI, all right? That means that you know Christ as your personal savior. That is, in this life, uh, they will have a friend. For those who, who, who are saved, they'll have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know what I told Drew before he went into the, uh, on, on Saturday night when I saw him before? I said, tomorrow when you go into surgery and your wife can't go past the doors with you and it's just the nurses that you don't know and the doctors that you don't know uh, and they're pushing you back to the operating room I said let me tell you something Jesus Christ the friend that is closer than a brother is going to be walking right there with you man how many know that's good Amen. And, and, and we know this, that, that Jesus is a warrior king who will give us victory. Come on. How many know that God has given us victory over sin? Amen. And, and he is a bridegroom who truly loves us. Amen. And, and here's what we know, that people that know uh, uh, Christ, that when they die, they'll be ushered into the presence of the Lord for eternity. The question is, 
why don't people become believers? If it's all good like that, why, why do people not become believers? And Paul answers this question when he said that the, the God of this world blinded their minds of the unbelievers, right? And so uh, that is why Paul told Timothy, the servant of the Lord must be gentle to all men, apt to teach and be patient in meekness, instructing through uh, who, uh, though, uh, uh, instructing, though, though, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, who oppose themselves that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. So basically what, what, what he's saying there is this, hey, to the person who is preaching the gospel, the person that's sharing the gospel, we got to be patient with people. We got to be loving with people. Come on. We got to tell people as much as we can that Christ wants to say them. So what does this mean? What does it mean to oppose one's self? All right. Um, this means this, to do the opposite of what we think is good for us. To oppose oneself is to do the opposite of what we think is good for us. Here's what I'll tell you. We can witness to people uh, until we're blue in the face. How many have ever argued and debated with people uh, until you were blue in the face, but nothing changed in them and nothing changed in you? Right? Happens quite a bit. And they look at you with blank stares. Why? Because the devil has got them blindfolded. He's got them where they, they cannot see the truth, and they can't see their current state. It's actually killing them, all right? How many know that there are, is a world full of people in our county, in our city, people that are blinded by the enemy. They can't see the truth, right? And sometimes you can tell them, hey, God wants to save you, and, 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 but they can't see the truth because they're blinded by what they see. What is the cure for spiritual blindness? You ready for this? We find the answer in Jesus' statement after he physically healed the blind man in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said this, all right? You can write this down. Matthew 12, 29. He, he said, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds what? The strong man. This is Jesus' words. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And so what Jesus is saying, you, if you break into someone's house and there's a, a big old guy that comes, guess what? Before you take anything out of that house, you're going to have to bind that big man and get him under subjection before you take anything out of the house. Because that big man's going to stop you from doing that. He's going to do everything he can to stop you. So the first thing that we have to do when we're, we're trying to lead someone to Christ is this. Uh, we have to pray this, but we have to bow. First, Satan must be bound before those who cannot see will be set free. That's why you got to pray for people before you witness to them. God, use me today, but help them to be able to see. God, Lord, would you bind the strong man that is keeping them from seeing God, would you, would you open the door so, Lord, that I could speak some truth? Lord, would you help me today? Now, most of us are just, you know, we, we don't really like that because we don't like praying for the loss. Well, come on, Pastor. Right? When's the last time you wept over the loss? <laughs> Gut punch. But that's what we are to do. We're to, we're to be praying for these people and saying, Lord, these are lost people. Lord, they, they can't even see that they need you. But God, would you open their eyes? God, would you help them? Lord, would you bind the strong man? A few chapters earlier, Jesus said this in Matthew, 6, uh, uh, in Matthew 16, 19. I'm sorry, a few chapters later, Matthew 16, 19, he said this. 
uh, that if we bind it on earth, guess what? It will be bound in heaven. If we loose it on earth, it will be what? Loosed in heaven. Do you see the principle here? There's a principle there. So, so before someone's scales come off their eyes, the strong man or Satan must be bound and the scales removed. That's why we sing, I once was blind, but now I, whoo, the writer of the gospel knew, or the writer of, of that song, John Newton, knew what he was talking about, didn't he? Remember, he was a slave trader. He, he had scales on his eyes, but then when he understood God's grace, he began to think about that. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but thank God, now I see. So, so we got to know that. So I, I could say, I say this, keep praying for wayward sons and daughters. Keep praying for that friend. Keep praying for that coworker. Keep praying for that person that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes. Amen? Amen? I, I'm challenging you. I, 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 am, I am just, I want you to get this in your heart. There are people who are dying. Come on. They're dying in this world. They don't even know that they need a Savior. Come on. But we ought to be praying for them. God, take the scales off their eyes. Open their eyes so that they could see the truth. Amen? How many could say this? Those who have been saved, they often say this. I never understood what it was to be a believer, but once I, I knew and I looked back and I, I could see what God brought me from. I see now, right? And so, uh, and here's, here it is. How many know this? You hear, you've heard me say this many times on Wednesday night. Uh, where there is a New Testament principle, uh, there, is a, there is a picture of it in the Old Testament, right? I'll give you a good example right here in 2 Kings. Um, with enemies surrounding him. And coming close to capture him, Elisha, he prayed this, pray, pr this prayer. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18, it says this. And he said, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, you ready for this? Please strike the people with blindness. So he struck them <laughs> with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. God, God did a miracle. They were coming to, to surround him and take him. And he said, Lord, strike these people with blindness. And they were all blind. It's crazy, right? Is Elisha being mean? Is he being hateful? Is he being vindictive? No. We'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll show you here that their blindness would eventually lead to their salvation. How many know this? That in Hosea, that Old Testament, that, that minor prophet, he prayed a, a very similar prayer to God that God would put a hedge of thorns in front of his wife to keep her out of an adulterous relationship. Did you know that? And so he's, he's saying, Lord, would you, would you keep her uh, away from those things? Would you help her? So, but like Elisha and Hosea, we must pray that he, that the Lord would, would blind the steps of those who don't know him in order that they would be able to continue, that they wouldn't be able to continue down the same path that they, they're going. The story goes on, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 19, 20, say this. And Elisha said to them, you ready? They're all blind. He says, hey, this is not the way you're supposed to go. This is the way. And this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man who you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open up their eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened up their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. They realized, whoo, oh, we're in the wrong place. We're in the enemy's territory. Oh, my goodness, Right? So after blinding the Syrians, Elisha, he loosed them by asking the Lord to open their eyes in order that they might see 
and he had led them to the king of Israel, the, and, and the, the very one that they had sought. And, and this is exactly what we are to do. We are to say, hey, Lord, Lord, would you help these people not be able to see, but we're to help lead these people to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, Jesus Christ. Amen. So first we need to pray that the work of Satan would be bound and then pray that God's power would be loosed in order that all people might see the one. Everyone say Jesus. That, they, they sh that we're all seeking for all along. Second Kings chapter 6 verse 23 says this. And after Elisha fed them and got them something to drink, that, that they went away. And the bands of Syria, when they left, they didn't want to come back to Israel again. So, so I mean, look how, look how God works. So as changed men, the Syrians no longer attack the people of God. So can I just say this? Prayer changes things. Amen? Prayer changes people. Prayer opens blind eyes. Amen? So, so the binding work of the enemy and the releasing of God's power in binding their eyes uh, uh, to sin you know, and you say, Lord, would you just make that sin thing that they're, that person struggling with? Lord, would you help them not be able to see that thing? And opening their eyes to the Savior. How many know that Jesus Christ can set you free? Amen. And without, without this, uh, uh, you know, uh, we witness in vain. We, we know we should pray until uh, we, take it, we take it serious. Because guess what? We're all, uh, you know, spirit-filled, intensive persevering prayer we should be on our knees crying out God help this person to see God I'm travailing for this person God I pray Lord that you would open their eyes Lord that you would let them see amen I love Paul he's one of the greatest examples of someone who went from being blind <laughs> blinded to seeing fully right I mean that's a great example right there verse 5 says this for for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So the Greek word translated servants here is actually slaves. Everyone say slaves. Pretty unpopular word in our, in our world, in our culture, right? Nobody wants to talk about that. You know, we're okay with being servants because that, that, that makes us think that we have free, free <laughs> that we have will. But when you're a slave to somebody, they, they have ownership of you, right? So Paul is saying this to the Corinthians and to us. We don't preach programs. We don't uh, just preach principles or procedures or 10 or 15 steps of this and all that. Listen, I, I know there's a place and there's a time for those. But, but what we preach, this is what Paul's saying, what we preach is a singular thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ, singularly. Uh, we're simply, uh, uh, and he's saying this, I am simply a slave to Christ, and what he has asked me to do is to preach the gospel uh, that he is, has ordained me to preach, and I'm going to preach it until you guys get this and, under, and you understand him. Verse 6 says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge uh, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, I talked about this, I think, last week. Unlike the light of Moses, you remember, he had the veil over his face. And we talked about uh, how Paul gave us a clue of why he had the veil over his face. It wasn't so much that, that the light was so bright, but it was to show that the people couldn't tell that Moses' light was fading. All right? And Paul, and he brought that up, I think, in chapter 2 or 3. Well, I mean, I know it was last week, but you can look at that. But how do I know uh, what God is like? How do I know... 
that God is not vengeful and vindictive and angry and upset. So, Pastor, how do you know those things? How do you know that? I tell you what, I have all the reasons in the world for God to be mad at me, vengeful at me, come at me in all directions. And I, I, I mess up uh, and, and I fail a lot. I make mistakes. Come on, right? Am I the only one? All right, good. But I could tell you this. When I think about Jesus' face, the one who freed the woman caught in adultery, despite her reputation, and her accusers ran away, that's a God who loves people right where they're at. Right? When he commends the woman who washed his feet with her tears, that tells me something differently about our God, right? Philip said, us, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. And Jesus said, he who has seen me has what? All right. So this tells me that the face of God uh, and grace of God are revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to see the face of God? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God's nature is? Look at Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Come on, somebody. It still is Jesus, and it always will be Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. I like this next portion of this. It's, if you need a subheading here, it's treasures in, in jars of clay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So in, in the contrast of the beauty and grace of Jesus, the King James Version says that, that uh, we are earthen vessels, that God puts this, that is, that we are people that are made of clay, come on, mud and dust. And some of you say, I feel like that in my age, right? Come on. Just Paul would be the first one to say, I'm earthy. I'm an earthy person. Uh, he, he would say, I, and here's the thing. Look at your neighbor and say, we are all earthy. Earthy. Earthy, right? This shouldn't come as any surprise to any of us because you know why? Because we're created from dust. Psalms 103 says, 14, it says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Try to keep my dust from getting old. I wish my dust would keep a hold of my hair a little bit better. But I love this next part of scripture to show, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're just earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Why does God put the gospel, the beautiful gospel in earthen vessels? Why did he pick us? You know, you ever stop and think about that? Why, why, why do you put something beautiful you know, and you can say, you know, I'm, I'm not ugly, but God put it in something that, that isn't really worth carrying the gospel. So our dustiness and our earthiness serve to cause people to be just more impressed with the treasure and the beauty of Jesus Christ. You know what that does when you put you put a bright light in something that's not beautiful? It, fo it puts the focus on the light. Right. It shines brighter. You know what? This is why I love new converts. You know why I love new converts in church and ex-drug addicts and ex-gang members and ex-prostitutes? 
because they come in and they let the light of Jesus just shine as bright in them as possible. And be like, man, you don't know the dirt that I've been in. You know what? Yeah, we do. But, but God is shining bright in you. I love that. They go from darkness to light, right? I'll never forget, we had a young man come at, when I was a youth pastor in Texas. And he was raised in the town that we were in. And uh, he didn't have a great, uh, you know, uh, you know, he just wasn't a great example growing up. He did a lot of things. Well, he went off to, to Nashville to try to become a recording artist and all these things. And he ended up, the Lord uh, drastically changed him. All right. How many know, I many are glad that God can drastically change us in the midst of all. And it was crazy uh, when he, he came back. We invited him back to come and uh, speak at our youth group. And I, I didn't really even know him that well, but he came. And, and, and he, he spoke uh, to our students, and he was, he was preaching, and he was prophesying over people, and he was leading people to Jesus. And some of his friends heard he was in town, and they just came to these meetings, and they were, their jaw hit the floor when they saw him. They're like, what happened to you? And he's like, Jesus changed me. Amen? The light shines much brighter. Come on, right? <laughs> when we have a dark past, the light shines so bright. I love that. How many are glad that God puts his light in us? Amen. Verse 8 says this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Come on. We're perplexed, but not driven to what? Despair. Persecuted, but not what? Struck down, but not always caring in the body of the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always uh, being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right. How many know who Theodore Steinway is? Anybody know who that is? Anybody ever heard of Steinway Pianos? Okay, if you're going to buy a grand piano, listen, I went to a Steinway and Son place one time. Uh, the inventor of the Steinway piano, I mean, they range from uh, like 40000 to like $750,000 for a piano. They're amazing. But Theodore Steinway said this, the piano, he crafted the Steinway pianos, some of the best pianos in the world. He, he said this, that there is 40,000 pounds of pressure exerted on 245 strings to create Beautiful, harmonious sound of a piano. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, that's a lot of pressure. Sometimes, come on, all right, you, here you go, ready to be encouraged. Sometimes it's the pressure, it's the persecution that we undergoes that causes the Son, the capital S-O-N, Jesus Christ, to resonate in our hearts in whom we share, right? When we're going through something, some people look at us and go, Man, I thought you would be down. I thought you would be out. I thought you would have quit by now. And, and you could say, it's only because of Jesus Christ that I'm standing here right now. Sometimes it's the, it's the pressure and the persecution. But Paul knew this. It's why good things happened in his tribulations. Why? Because Jesus' light would shine brighter. You know, I talked about this last week. Acts 16, him and Paul and, and Silas, there they were. And what came out of that? They were in prison. I'd have been mad. I'd have been arguing with God. I'd have been frustrated with God. I'm just being honest. Paul, nah, let's just sing. So let's, they start singing. 
And God shakes the prison. An earthquake happens, right? And all the doors open up. And the jailer ends up getting saved. And his family gets saved. And, and great revival starts right there in that moment. How many know that God can do great things? Pressure brings what, what's actually in us. It comes out. So, so Paul, uh, he was afflicted. All right. You ready for this? Paul was afflicted but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. He was persecuted, and, and which means this, someone is in pursuit and determined to harm you. So he was persecuted, which Paul experienced, but the Lord never what? Forsook him. In jail, he freed him. He also, uh, how many remember that people were trying to kill him in Damascus, and they lowered him in a basket to get him out of there because people were trying to take his life. But Paul had been beaten in Lystra. He had been uh, stoned by a crowd. Come on. And they left him for dead, but guess what? He was not destroyed. Verse 12 says this. It says, have you, have you ever, or let me look back here. Verse 12 says this. So death is at work within us, but life in you. Have you ever thought that had Paul not been willing to risk his life to come to Corinth, the Corinthians may not have ever heard the gospel or ever heard about eternal life? You ever thought about that? No, probably not. People, we forget about that. I, I think about our, our missionary and our group that's about to go down to Guatemala, our missionary down there, Les and Charlene Melton, wonderful people, love the Lord so much. And, and, and Guatemala City, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody, has one of the highest murder rates in, in the world, uh, to be honest. And, and But, you know, they are down there, and that's where they live, and they're in the middle of that because they love people they they're they're spreading the uncompromising word of god they are uh, they're saying hey it's dark here but guess what we're going to keep throwing the light of jesus christ in us and us earthen vessels we're just going to keep bringing it forth and trying to win as many people to jesus christ as we can amen i love that verse 13 since we have the same spirit of faith according to that uh, uh, to what has been written i believe and and so i spoke we also believe and so we also speak, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Everyone say amen. For it is all uh, for your sake so that the grace extends more and more people. Uh, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, don't lose heart. Though our outer is wasting away, this old dusty body is wasting away. Come on. The older I get, the more I understand this verse. Our inner self is being renewed, what? Day by day. Amen? So he's, Paul's actually quoting Psalm 116. You can go look that up. And he says, hey, I, I speak what I believe, that the Lord will raise up to all the things will work out for his glory, that God is going to get the glory. No matter what happens, he's going to get the glory out of my life. If I die tomorrow, God will get the glory. If I'm beaten tomorrow, God will get the glory. Amen? So this is the same thing we see in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verses 5 and 6, he says, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. We could say that the Lord is our helper. Amen? He's with us. He has said uh, 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 that we can say, in, in other words, 
to speak out words of faith in difficulty circumstances. I heard somebody say this this week. You know, it's easy to believe God for miracles when, God, when miracles happen, right? But is it, there's times where you pray and you pray for things sometimes and you're like, God, will you move in this situation? But it takes a lot of faith to trust in God when you don't see something going the way you want it to. Amen? It's hard. Lord, why didn't you do this? Lord, why didn't it work out this way? The Lord never told us, hey, I'm going to do everything for you. But he did say, trust in me. Right? And, and so there's this element of faith, trusting in the Lord no matter what happens. And that Paul, uh, Paul is one of the best at that. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust the Lord. Man, I say, Lord, help me to be like Paul. You know, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, you know. And, and so, Lord, help me to at least get kind of on the level with Paul there. If we talk about it, uh, uh, if, you know, frustrations and, and sadness, guess what? We'll get tired and we'll, we'll faint, right? Get around grumpy people and people who are always negative, guess what? They're going to bring you down. I, if you have a friend that's an Eeyore, stay away from them. Right? You know. But here's the deal. If we confess what the Lord said, he's always with us, Matthew 28, 20, that all things will work together for the good of them who love God, Romans 8, 28, and greater is he who is in us than he is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. Guess what? When we begin to confess those things that Christ has said, come on, right, we will become overcomers. We know Hebrews tells us that the worlds were framed. Like a carpenter frames a house by the word of God, right? And so, so too, we can frame the world that we live in by the words we speak. Right? Oh, it's quiet. Come on, someone say amen. So be it, pastor. Yes, I can create things by, by the way that I'm talking, all right? If we speak words of grumpiness, doubt, fear, cynicism, we will live in that world that we created. Right? But if we speak words of faith, hope, and joy, even when we're going through hard times, guess what? The Lord will be right there with us. Amen. And that goes against everything that the world teaches us, right? But Paul, he could have been murmuring. He could have been complaining. He could have been doubting. He could have been whimpering. He could have been crying. It's not what he chose to do. Yeah, we're going through some tough times. But you know what? I'm going to keep the spirit of faith, Paul says. I'm not quitting. God's, God's been too good to me. How many can say, God's been too good to me so far for me to walk away from him now. Amen. Verse 17. For this, I love, I love, I love, I love this next bit of scripture right here. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let me read that one more time. I'm going to confess that over you. For our light momentary affliction is preparing to, uh, for us an eternal weight of glory beyond our all what? Verse 18 says, says this. As we look to the things that are seen, all right, what we know what's happening around us, we don't look to those things, but we look to the things that are unseen that God knows, the hard things. Come on, somebody. The unseen things God already knows, right, that are uh, unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Uh, it's funny here. Paul refers to uh, his afflictions as light. Paul's affliction. He, Paul's saying our light afflictions. My, my afflictions were light. Whoo, man. 
If we dealt with what Paul dealt with, most of us would be in a fetal position crying, all right? Are you keeping tabs on, 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 on Paul? Here we go. Here's his light afflictions. He was stoned to death. He was beaten, shipwrecked, thrown out on the open sea, cast into dungeons and jails, and bit by a poisonous snake, snake right? All right. Some of you have coworkers that are talking about you, and you feel bad about that. Yeah, Paul says, those are light. Those are nothing. You know why? Those are light because there's a heavy work that's going on within us, something more eternal, something that's greater. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I love Paul's vision. He's not focusing on the temple thing. Yeah, this is terrible. Someone's beating me right now. Man, I could get mad. Lord, when, when you blinded me on the Damascus road, Lord, I, <laughs> you didn't say I was going to have to do No, he could have got mad, but he's like, no, this, this is working something out great. God's going to get some glory out of this. These are temporal things. And what Paul's saying is stop focusing on the temporal thing and start looking at the eternal thing that's going to happen. Right? We have light afflictions, right? I'll give you some of ours. Our car breaks down. Oh, man, this is not a good month for my car to break down, Lord. Why could that have happened a different time, right? Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you have friends that betray you, right? God calls that a light affliction. Maybe sickness is coming to your, your home. Maybe turmoil. Maybe you lost your job. God calls that a light affliction. The key in this is to not get focused, all right, on the pain that we're currently in, but the glory that God wants to get on the other side of our pain, right? That's it. I mean, it, it's, a it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's light because on the other side of our trial or our problem, there is better joy. There's greater joy. There's overcoming power. There's fullness of joy. There's a powerful testimony that points to the glory of God. How many could say, hey, I thought this was going, in your life, think of a situation. I thought that thing would kill me, but now that I'm on the other side of this thing, I can look back and go, hey, that was light. Look what God has done in my life. Amen. And that's what Paul's saying. After speaking on affliction in, in chapter 4, Paul jumps to one of my favorite subjects, heaven, all right. Amen. In chapter 5, I'm going to see what I can do here. We'll see where we get. Everyone say, come on, pastor, keep on going. Nobody said it. <laughs> he talks about heaven here, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. So he talks about us being dust, and now he talks about us being a tent. So Paul realized that the body that he lived in was a tent. What's a tent? Tents are for temporary housing. Tents aren't made to be permanent. They're not, they're not made to, to last forever. Matter of fact, you buy a tent at Walmart and you live in it for a while. Within a few months, that thing's going to be, the sun's going to beat up on it. The weather's going to beat up on it. The wind's going to blow it away, right? And, and so uh, remember that Paul was a tent maker, right? How many remember that? Paul was a tent maker. So, so Paul probably appreciated the craftsmanship of tents when he saw them. He, he probably had an eye for it. It's like, man, I like the way they did this. Uh, but, you know, much like a carpenter on their home or a mechanic on a car. But he understood tents are temporary. They're not for forever. They're, they're for a short term 
thing, right? And and uh, and they're not to take our our current physical situation to be taken, uh, you know, too seriously because tents will wear down, right? They'll fall apart. Anybody ever went camping and had a had a tent blow away in a storm, leak on you? Come on, right? I could. I I mean, I've got story after story. I don't have time to tell on those, but but. But he understood that tents are temporary. The father gently reminds us, and he reminds me. I'll just say this personally every day. Every day I look in the mirror, I realize I'm just a tent. Right? You can do everything to your body you want. You can have all the surgeries. You can do all this stuff. Guess what? Your tent is going to wear out sometime. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, but Paul understood that that these current bodies, this is temporary. This thing's temporary. Did you know that? This thing that you're in, this vessel that you're in right now, it's temporary. All right, next part. We have we have a building from God. Come on, right? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So most people think of heaven. As, you know, going down, anybody ever been to Beverly Hills here? Anybody ever drove a few people? Um, you know, you, you just watch a movie on Hollywood, you'll see. And, and you go down the streets of Beverly Hills, and there's these perfectly tr- lined trees, perfectly manicured yards, and all these big houses. And, man, it looks, just looks really clean and nice. And it's one of most people think heaven's going to be like that, okay? And they think that, uh, you know, their, their mansion's going to be in the corner of Hallelujah Avenue and Glory Lane, right? They've got it all figured out already. But if the tent in this verse before us speaks of our current bodies and the building from God, a house made with hand, with, without hands must speak of our resurrected bodies. You're going from a tent to a house. How many say that's an upgrade? Temporary, permanent, right? I mean, I, I think that's great. And, and, and our resurrected bodies, one that is glorious, you know what? And and the and the how, and the body that you're going it it is it is custom made for you. I'm gonna ask the Lord to give me 22 inch biceps. I I don't know why. I lost my place. Where was I at? Verse 2 says this, for in this tent we groan. How many woke up groaning today in your tent? You got up this morning and, oh, I slept on my neck. My neck was sore this morning. I'm not even kidding you. This morning I got up, and I don't even know how I slept wrong on my neck, but I did. It was sore, and it was bothering me this morning. Uh, We, uh, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. I, I, I wrote this, but if there's a verse I can relate to in a guy in his 40s, it's this verse right here. We groan because our bodies are showing signs of use because they're wearing out on this side of eternity. Verse 3. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we should, uh, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
So nakedness here in this context doesn't speak of what we think of when we hear the word naked. But it talks about uh, disembodiment, the separation of our soul and spirit from our physical body, all right? Um, the Buddhist, they believe, uh, who say this, that, you know, when you reach nirvana, your spirit is existing. And, and it, it's, it's really uh, c- contrary to what Scripture teaches. And Paul, is, he's not calling out Buddhists, but he's, he's setting the record straight here. He's trying to help us out. Our soul and spirit will inhabit a body prepared for us that will make the one that we're living in seem like a tent. That's what he's saying, okay? When we get to the other side, guess what? We'll have a new body. Some of us will have our hair back. Some of us, you know, will be able to, to, to do the things we did when we were younger, amen? I mean, praise God, right? And so verse 5 says this, he who has prepared for us this very thing is who? Who is it? I like that. Verse uh, Mark chapter 7 verse 37 says this, and they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things, what? Well, he, is, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So these are people talking about Jesus after he's done some miracles, and they look at Jesus and said, he has done all things well. How many can say, hey, God has done all things well in your life? Amen. Uh, um, The people said of Jesus, hey, these are great miracles, but God does all things well, and he does. I'm sure here that we'll have some questions about our new resurrected bodies when we get to heaven, but I but I'm, I'm sure not one person will say, man, I wish I had my body that I had back in Bedford. I wish I had that old rust bucket that I used to run around in, right? Ooh, I, I like this. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The King James Version says he has given us, given unto us the earnest of the spirit. What does that mean, Pastor? The this is a guarantee is like an, an engagement ring to somebody. When I, when I asked Tristan to marry me, I called her and I said, will you marry me? And she said, my God, yes. Who is this? No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. It's a joke. It's not how I proposed to her at all. Um, she begged me until I said, yeah, no, that's not how it happened either. But, but a, an engagement ring, when, when someone gives an engagement ring to somebody, it's, it's a vow that says, hey, I, I, I want to marry you. I, I'm in this for the long haul, right? It's, it's, I, 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 I want to be with you. It's like a, a guarantee, and, 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 and the King James Version says earnest. You know, we talk about earnest money towards the purchase of a, of a new car. You, when you go in, you, they say, do you have a down payment? You say, yeah, I have a down payment for this car. That, that means you're good for what you had. It's a commitment towards the purchase uh, uh, you know, not that you purchase a bride, but but an engagement, right? It's, hey, I'm going to follow through with what I am saying here. And Paul is saying we, we can guarantee that something great is going to happen because God has given us the earnest, the down payment, the engagement ring of his Holy Spirit. Amen? That may not be a revelation to you, but that's a great revelation to me. Uh, the, the times you've been overwhelmed by God's craftsmanship as you watch the sunrise. How, how many have ever uh, watched the sunrise and just said, man, God, you are so good. How many have ever watched the sunset at night and go, 
Lord, that is beautiful. Thank you for that beautiful sunset you gave me, right? How many have ever looked up at the stars and marveled and said, man, God, how did you make all of the galaxies that I'm seeing right now? You've been amazed by that. You've been in awe of God's power and God's grace. How many have ever experienced that? How many have, have seen the goodness as he wraps his arm around you in the time of trouble and you know God is right there with you? You know what that is? That's his spirit, his promise, his word, amen, his spirit, his promise being fulfilled that, that, all, that what we're going through, that he is saying, hey, hey, here's the earnest money, here's the down payment, here's the engagement, here's a sneak preview of what is to come. You think you see vivid colors on this side, wait till you get to the other side. You know, our son has a has a limit of a spectrum, but the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, does not have a limit on the spectrum of light that comes from him. Amen? Verse 6 says this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by, we walk by, we walk by, not by, thank goodness. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul said, I would rather be with the Lord, but I'm in good courage because, you know what, God still used me, I, I'm here, all right? We know and we understand that the Lord is around us. He lives inside of us, Paul's saying, nonetheless, this is what I need to know, okay? We need to know this as believers. We still have to walk by faith and not by what we see. All right? There are people, and they make a reference to Job, that teach that the soul sleeps in the grave until the rapture of the church. Um, I do not agree with that assessment of Scripture. because, But this verse tells us differently that the moment... We are absent from the body. We are what? Present with the Lord. That's what scripture tells us. This is, this is demonstrated in Jesus' words on the cross when he looked at that uh, uh, a thief at, on, the, on the cross beside him and said, today you will be what with me in. He's saying something powerful there, right? And so uh, verse 9 says this. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim. To please him. Hmm. That's a good verse. That's a good verse. You ought to walk out the door of your home every morning and say, Lord, whether I'm home or I'm away, my, my aim is to please you today. The way I walk, the way I talk, the way I demonstrate God's love to people, I, I want everything I do today, Lord, to please you. In light of, of eternity, in light of where we are, where we're going, in light of our new body that awaits us, Paul says, guess what? I'm laboring, and I'm not stopping until I take my final breath. I'm just going to keep laboring. I'm going to keep telling more people about Christ. I'm going to keep spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thank goodness that Paul did this because, uh, guess what? We're, we're able to stand on the, the shoulders of these guys and the disciples who went and they spread the gospel of Christ, which is over in the Middle East. Guess what? We're over here in North America hearing about the goodness of Jesus Christ. People in South America know about the, the, 
the message of Jesus Christ. People in Asia know about the, the message of Jesus. People in Australia, right all across this world, people are knowing the message of Jesus Christ. It's because these disciples and Paul and all of these, these guys, they began to just spread the gospel of Christ. And it didn't matter who was around. They, that they had a purpose and they were going to do that. They labored. Everyone say labor. For the remainder of this chapter, it's interesting, Paul will will tell us three reasons he endured beatings and shipwrecks and all that. And, we're, man, I don't think we're going to get to that. All right, everyone say amen. Let it be so. Um, and so he, he'll do that. But I, I want to end on, on this verse, verse 10. It's kind of a weird verse to end on, but, hey, we'll do it. We'll come back and we'll pick up. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may may do what? What is for what he has done in the body, whether what? Whew, amen. Let's open the altars. So let's, can you put up uh, verse 9 again? Let's read this all together. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in this body, whether what? The judgment seat, the Bema seat, is a reference to, to and Paul's making a reference here uh, to how um, athletes are given awards, right? We see athletes, we got we got the first place person over here, then we got the second place person over here, and the third, I don't know what order it is, the third place person over here, it's, you know, they're getting their awards. And Paul tells us that at on judgment day, guess what? Everybody is going to stand before the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ, where everything we have done will be judged. Some of us go, ooh, that's, that's rough, right? In 1 Corinthians 3, he sheds further light on this when he said that, that uh, of our works, talking about teaching and Bible study and tithing and witnessing, guess what? All those things will be judged by fire. This is, this is that moment. And, and the things that are good in a fire, guess what? They'll come to the top. The things that are bad, they're going to be burned up, that they're, they're not going to matter. And so um, I love what Paul is saying here. I, I tell you what, it, it has in my heart, in my heart, it makes me want to be better. How many want to be better Christians? How many want to do things that please him? Hey, man, I'm not giving you a, a list of rules and things like that. But when, when you are getting closer to the Lord, there are things in your life that you would have done before. There's things that you would have watched on TV that, you would have, that, that you'll sit down and the Holy Spirit will go, this isn't good for you. And you'll be like, you know what? I don't need to watch that. I don't need to go to these places. I don't need to be in this conversation because it's not edifying. It's not pleasing to H-I-M, Jesus Christ, okay? It's not pleasing him in any form or function. You'll learn to separate yourself from those things, amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for.